continuing in Thessalonians chapter 4, which is actually on 1188. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. (coughs) Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You might look at this text, uh, the, the passage we've read, and think, what on earth has that got to do with our front lines on a Monday morning? Um, <laughs> we'll come back to that. Um, If you go to the Central Methodist Church in Melbourne, Australia, they had a minister in the 90s called Derek Moyes, and he became the sort of um, John Stott of Australia. (laughs) And he inherited about half a dozen um, senior citizens and a dog with three legs. (laughs) Um, And they did a survey in the neighborhood and they asked, I think, one question. If you were the church, what do you think the church should be doing in this community? 
and they tabulated a, a, an enormous response. Well, these Christians, all they ever do is talk about pie in the sky when you die. This is what they ought to be doing in the community. So they tabulated it all. They reorganized their church program around it, gave a timeline to things that were doable, and started to do them. Central Methodist Church in Melbourne became the, one of the largest churches in Australia. Because after they tabulated it all, they then went back with a second questionnaire saying, right, here's our program for the next five years. What would you do to contribute to this if you belong to our church? So you might say they've, they've given up the gospel for social action. Actually, they, in a far more profound way, had got hold of the breadth of the gospel and were putting it into action. Because the gospel... Do you mind if I take this? I think it's the jacket. Pardon? What? <laughs> um, I never did understand the heckling in this church. It's sort of just... <laughs> Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's not me, is it? No, that's, I thought it was the jacket. Okay. The gospel is not just pie in the sky when you die. It's cake on the plate while you wait, but not from a selfish point of view. I want it and I want it now. I want to show you from the scripture this morning, there's no such thing as pie in the sky when you die. The kingdom of God is much greater than that. And he's going to reconstitute this planet. He's going to have us as his civil servants running the place. You're looking at me old-fashioned, as we say in Nottingham. We ain't going to be swinging on clouds and playing harps. So forget that. Here we go. Let's, are we on here? Let's have a look at this. Once upon a time, Jesus called his followers the church and said they should go into society and represent him 24-7. One day, the church got too big to be meeting in houses and needed somewhere bigger, so they started meeting in buildings. Eventually, on a Sunday. Eventually, wearing their best clothes. Everyone was happy except Jesus. Soon, the neighbors stopped referring to the people as church, and started calling the building church. And church was for Sunday, and for your wearing your best. And everybody was happy, except Jesus. 
As time went by, the neighbors became curious about what was happening inside this building on a Sunday with your best clothes on. So the, the neighbors started going to the meetings to find out. When the neighbors got inside the building, they realized it was like a boat in which followers of Jesus did what Jesus said, and they fished for people. And everyone was happy, except Jesus. Then there was a big world war, and after the war, the neighbors stopped believing in God and going to the building so much. Now, everyone was unhappy. Then, one day, the followers of Jesus remembered that Jesus had said that the church is not the building, but the people. So instead of using the building like a boat in which to fish, they began to use the building as a boat from which to fish. So they started to represent Jesus to neighbors everywhere, their family, their street neighbors, their friends, their school, their college mates, their work colleagues, their retiree networks. Now they found that the whole of society had come back in onto their agenda. So from Monday to Saturday, the church was everywhere on the front line of society. And now Jesus was happy. So we're celebrating our front line. We're celebrating something of what the Central Methodist Church in Melbourne did. And as Dave said this morning, in the office, welcome to church. 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 It's what my dad did. Welcome to church. Welcome to church. So on our front line, there are elephants in the room. And the series we're on is about addressing those elephants. And Christians are meant to be Jesus signposts on those front lines in society. Pointing people away from what's wrong with society and towards the good news that the solution for society arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. I almost feel like the judge on Miracle on 34th Street. Santa Claus exists, and it exists in the person of Chris Kringle. 
Remember that? The solution has arrived, and it arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the significance of Jesus. So Jesus is the answer, but there are so many Christians who talk about Jesus being the answer. I remember doing some open-air work when I was younger, and a window opened, because we'd got a loud hailer. And the window opened and said, Jesus may be the answer, but what's the question? The question is human nature. That is the question. And I remember being in a thing on my front line, <laughs> and it was in the, at the House of Lords. You say, funny front line, pray for Christian parliamentarians. It was in the House of Lords, and it was in a side meeting, and there was Bishop, a uh, Bishop, oh dear, Lord Ahmed, if you remember him, and Andrew White, the vicar of Baghdad, talking about what's, prob- what's wrong with the world. And standing next to me was a woman, and next to her was her husband. Her husband's name is J. John. And he said, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That's what's wrong. Jesus is the answer. What's the question? This is the question. The human heart. And the Bible is painfully honest. And it says in Ezekiel 18, the cardinal um, law of the universe, the soul that sins shall surely die. And the Bible's message is that because of human nature, we die mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and for safekeeping, because we would be monsters, we die physically. Let's keep this short. How would we go on if Hitler was alive today? You know what I'm saying? Death can be a blessing. The soul that sins shall surely die. So we live in a world where to be human is a terminal condition. For good and ill. We've had so much bereavement and funerals in the fellowship of late. And it's, it's a fact of life, isn't it? A painful fact of life. And we're going to hear good news this morning for us. Don't be uninformed about those who have died. He says in verse 13, you don't grieve like the others who have no hope. Are you listening? We don't grieve like others who have no hope. And... The problems in society, if you think of it, usually come down to human nature. And society is doing its best to pick up the pieces. Andy worked in the police. I wonder if we gave a percentage of the, the work of the police, how, what percentage of the police time is given because of the problem of human nature. Can I go further and say, 
If human nature wasn't as it is, and Jesus Christ had come back and set everything right, the police force would become redundant. That's the other way of saying the same thing. Politicians exist for that reason. The legal system is kept busy for that reason. The social services have overworked for that reason. The education system are tearing their hair out for that reason. Even the NHS, we're picking up <coughs> problems created because of human nature. And we, this is the good news, you and I can become good news when we find out people's unanswered questions and engage with them in that. Is that doable? Find out what's bugging people in your network. And one of them is that our society is scared and fascinated in equal measure by death. People with no faith often don't know what to think, and many Christians are not sure what the Bible actually says about it. So we live in a, a world where cryogenic, the cryogenic industry in the US is taken really seriously, making lots of money by deep freezing people after death, uh, and they're paying big bucks for it, with a view to being uh, thawed out when a cure for what they di died of becomes available. Hollywood movies come out constantly about cheating death. The BBC documentary recently, pre-death videos that people are making to help the grieving process. And there's an elephant in the room, friends. And open questions which Christians sometimes can ask and need to earn the right <laughs> to ask them. And sometimes we need to pray for the, the, the wisdom to know the time to ask the question. What do you think happens when we die? Or as the camp, uh, crusade, uh, Campus Crusade um, had it, if you died tonight, where would you go and why? If there's life after death, how do you know you will have it. These are the sorts of issues. And this is why there is Christian hope on our front lines. We become good news. Because we are living in a different worldview as followers of Jesus. And therefore, our reactions change. And I remember my mother, uh, who's passed away, she suffered all her life with chronic nerves. Um, and she came to faith in Jesus. And she became one of the most tranquil ladies you could ever wish to meet. And the, the change was so stunning. Everybody who didn't know Jesus around was asking, Veronica, what on earth is, where is this coming from? You have such a deep peace about you. What's happened? How long have you got? Huh? <laughs> These are the, the inroads, hope, on the front line. And one of her biggest fears was death. 
And I'm now following her because I've just turned 63. Whoopee, one year less to go. <laughs> I'm coming. Lord. Uh, we have a totally bonkers worldview about death. I, I am so excited to see him. And I genuinely mean that. So if you hear that Steve's gone under a bus or whatever, you know. Ouch, but... <laughs> After that, it's all plain sailing. So Paul, the Bible has a lot to say to help us. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians speaks to such crucial, everyday issues as death. And that's why he, he says, don't be uninformed like others. You don't grieve like others grieve. Now, the passage we've read, some take it um, literally, and that's absolutely fine. I'm not here to waste time trying to um, push this or that. But I am saying the truth is far bigger than a literal reading of these verses, that we will be taken up to meet Jesus in the air, transported to heaven where we will live with him forever. Um, and like some fundamentalist Christians in America, uh, may the world be damned, and uh, we don't care, because God's going to destroy the world. I'm sorry to caricature, but you need to know that's the other end of a spectrum. Um, so wherever you are on that, my, my thing is not to uh, waste time on that, but to say the reality of Scripture is much bigger and better. The Bible uses symbols to convey bigger and better things. Uh, and the Bible uses symbols to talk about the end of the current world order. So in, in Psalm 96, 11, it says, When Jesus comes, the fields will exult, and everything in them will do the same. The trees will sing for joy before the Lord Jesus when he comes to judge the world. But it's not a negative judgment. Neg judgment has two, two sides. It's when he will bring mishpat in the Hebrew language. He will set things right. When you're listening to the politicians of the world, you think, for goodness sake, people, can't you see it? Well, of course they can't. He who walks in darkness doesn't know where they're going. But Jesus said, he who believes in me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That's what we, we need to be praying for our politicians. The trees will sing for joy before the Lord Jesus when he comes to judge the world. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with truth. That's what's going to happen, okay? Does that in any way remotely encourage you and bless you? Some, some sort of? Isaiah 11.6 when Jesus comes, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. He's going to put everything right. You won't need zoos. They'll just be wandering around like kitty cats in the neighborhood. And your kids will be absolutely fine stroking their belly on the front lawn. You looking at me? Old-fashioned. <laughs> the Revelation says that Jesus will come and he'll be a lion of authority and power. How will it be expressed? It will be expressed with the gentleness and vulnerability of a lamb. 
That's the symbols of revelation. Don't take it literally, otherwise you get yourself into a mess, and it's a don't try this at home time. Because this lion, who is a lamb, has uh, seven horns coming out of his head, and out of his mouth is coming a sword, and it's like, ah! you know. Horror movie, here we come. It's not talking literally, it's okay. It's the meaning of the sword is the word of God. The horns for are of wisdom and power. They, they are symbolic language for who he is. Who he is is much greater. If you want to stick with this weird thing that looks like you've had too much cheese and pickle before bed, that's fine. But the truth is greater than the symbols the, the scripture uses. So in Thessalonians, it says, Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. Does that mean he's coming at night time? No, it means suddenly... Uh, maybe even unperceptibly. The world will be like a woman suddenly going into labor. You know, so everyone's going to run around going, ooh, ooh, ooh. sorry, ladies, I do not mock. I do not mock. God knew what he was doing when he asked the ladies to do that. It brings tears to my eyes. Anyway. But do you see what I'm saying? The, the symbolism of the Lord. Um, and then, <laughs> all in the same sentences, it's like, he'll come like a thief in the night. Uh, it'll be like a woman suddenly having a baby. Uh, don't get drunk. Stay awake. Put your armor on. <laughs> Definitely don't try this at home. You know? So, this is the description of... Um, Paul, um, I've, I've put bold the fact that destruction will come suddenly. And so he's using the labor pains to describe the suddenness. Uh, and then for us, don't walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And the word of God is a lamp to our feet to help us to live well and wisely. And if we do that, it will all happen as no surprise to us. That's what he's getting at. And then let's just have a look at the two images about being taken up in the clouds. Thessalonians, the clouds and the trumpet call, the coming of the Lord Jesus. Does that remind you of anything in the Old Testament? Sinai, Sinai, trumpets, cloud, coming of the word of the Lord, yeah? in the very presence of God. It's a Moses, Old Testament, Sinai picture. Um, and uh, that's, <clears throat> he'll come down from heaven with a loud command, that's Sinai, with a voice of the archangel, that's Sinai, with the trumpet of God, that's Sinai, and the dead in Christ will rise. Now, whatever that means, I'm thinking, whoa. They'll rise. And then it goes on, um, the, the going up of the saints, and you get the Daniel picture about vindication of God's people. So, um, oh, is it gone? Oh, well, no, it, there was one. We who are still alive and are left on earth, will. this is uh, 
verse 17. We who are still alive and um, are left on earth will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And I'm nearly at the end, Dave. Um, and um, so will we meet the Lord uh, in the air. It does say that. So we will be with Jesus forever. All right? Notice that in verse 17, if you've got your Bible open. Sorry, I lost it off here. And I would say, um, stress not on we'll meet him in the air, and that's fine, but stress the bottom line. So we will be with him forever. Okay, because I'm now going to challenge you about where we will be with him. Okay? It's about the only thing the Jehovah's Witnesses have got right. Oh. Okay. So, heaven is coming down, and we, we have this tradition in Christianity, don't we, about we're going up because of this, chap, this verse. There are not many verses about the rapture, not many. And so everything is about we're going up, we're going up, Titanic. I'm going up, I'm going up. Sorry. <laughs> Guess I like films. <laughs> um, but actually, the Bible says heaven's coming down. And so Paul is saying, Christians, we need to cooperate with God to implement his new creation project on earth. Because heaven's coming, and we are the preview. <laughs> we are the trailer for the talking films. We are the trailer for the coming event. It's come in Jesus. It's coming in these days through his church. We are outposts of the kingdom of God, by the way. What is the church for? People should come in here and think... <laughs> this must be what heaven's like. <laughs> and those that know churches go, <laughs> <laughs> But it's like that because we're in preparation for when it comes. That's why the sparks fly in church life. That's called discipleship. That's what it's all about. So, we who are still alive and are left on earth will be caught up together with them and, and we will be forever with the Lord. I found the one I'd lost. I'm sorry. Okay. Christians are not supposed to be vigilante, you know, like religious vigilantes. We're supposed to be people um, who are awake, alert, and undistracted by the trivia of our age. Pause there. Distracted by the trivia of our age. To be sober, that means to keep a clear head, clear thinking, be ready to have meaningful chats at that boozy party. It's a lifestyle. So God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath, but to be safe through our Lord Jesus. He died for us, so whether we are alive or dead, we may live with him. Now, um, Revelation 21, verse 2. If some of you are taking notes, that's always incredibly encouraging to a speaker. Revelation 21, verse 2 says, I saw New Jerusalem coming down to earth from heaven. Matthew 6.10, the Lord teaches, your kingdom come. 
your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And I suggest to you, this is not only during the church age, it's for eternity. And the reason that we're left here on earth is that Jesus' followers are on their front line in the sovereignty of God in order to transfer spiritual life to model a different worldview. So let's, let's stop with this one. We are signposts in society now, and we're pointing to the fact that a restoration is underway since the cross of Christ. The kingdom came, began to come with Jesus, it's continued to come throughout the church age, and for instance, a lot of it in the media are not even picking up. Let me give you one from my front daily front line. My daily front line tells me there are more Muslims changing allegiance to Jesus Christ today than at any time in church history. That is now an unassailable fact, statistically tabulated. The kingdom is coming in the hearts of people now. And when it finally arrives, we're going to be living on earth, I, I suggest to you, not swinging on a cloud. A renewed, recreated earth. So the bottom line, chapter 5, verse 11, so encourage one another, build each other up, just as you're doing. You that have lost people, we're going to see them again. That's why in my early church, my early church, um, I'm not uh, 2,000 years old. Um, <laughs> my, we'd make a fortune, it seems, if we knew the answer to that one. The church, my first church, when I became a Christian, every time there was a funeral, they used to say, good night, Irene. We'll see you in the morning. Good night, Don. Good night, Doris. We'll see you in the morning. Yes. Please inform your face, some of you. <laughs> your hearts and your head are wrangling. God bless us one and all. Okay.